a few months previous, playing in front of 100,000 people in the biggest stage in all of college football. Then just a few months later, I'm on a walker. My surgeon and the doctors, finally they offered me a little bit of, I believe that probably should have been asked of me before I went in for a six and a half hour back surgery. If you don't want to have to come back here and have another back surgery soon, then you're going to have to lose weight. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And today, you will be hearing the incredible story of Gabriel Miller. Now, Gabriel is an author, he is a plant-based chef, he is even a vegan organic vegetable farmer, and he also happens to be a weight loss success. But just a few years ago, if you would have said Gabriel would have been any one of those things, he probably would have told you that you were crazy. He would have told you, no way, man, I'm going to be in the NFL And there is a better than good chance that Gabriel would have been suiting up and taking the field on Sundays. He was already playing elite college football at the University of Nebraska. And for those of you who are not familiar, Nebraska is one of the biggest college football programs in the country. So many iconic football players have come out of Lincoln. And there was Gabriel as a freshman starting for the Huskers. But then fate intervened in Gabriel's plans. A freak injury in the weight room derailed his career. And in the blink of an eye, his dreams of running through the tunnel on Sunday afternoons were squashed. But Gabriel didn't sulk. He picked himself up, he dusted himself off like the tough guy that he was, and he made some difficult decisions. He did not want to be this incredibly overweight, unhealthy washed up football player. So instead of charging ahead on the football field, he took charge of his health. And what happened in the following years was nothing short of incredible. This is a man who majored in animal agriculture. This is what he was studying in college. And then he had himself an epiphany Turned to a plant-based diet, and now is saving lives, including his own. So really looking forward to having him on the show in just a little bit. 
And also on the show today, we're going to be welcoming Dr. Jazz into the exam room, Dr. Jasmine Sardana. She will be here from the Barnard Medical Center to open up the doctor's mailbag. Going to be answering all kinds of questions. You all, you keep sending in a bunch of good ones like Dale, who wants to know, is it better to have too little sodium or too much sodium? We're going to find out from Dr. Jazz. Vincent wanted to know whether orange juice was healthy. He's had a lot of people say, no, sir, orange juice is not the drink of choice. And then somebody else wrote in wondering about agave and maple syrup compared to sugar. What's the healthier route to take there? Well, Dr. Jazz is going to answer all of those questions and a ton of others when we open up the doctor's mailbag. But first, let's hear the incredible story of Gabriel Miller. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My next guest is really somebody who I admire myself because he, too, is a fellow weight loss success story. He's also an author, a plant-based chef, and and a vegan organic vegetable farmer. My man wears many hats. Gabriel Miller, welcome to the exam room. Hey, it's great to be on, Chuck. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, it's just an honor to be sitting or be video chatting next to you today. And I was on with you recently, and I just remember being so struck by your story on your show. I was like, man, we got to reciprocate and get the rest of the details over on the exam room. So really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, uh, there's uh, nothing more important in the schedule than getting on for the the old exam room podcast (laughs) hosted or presented to you all by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. I'm a big fan of it, if you can't tell already. There you go. Yeah, man, you got it down. You got it down. I know who to call if I ever need a sub. Hey, there you uh, go. <laughs> so, so often on the show, I always like when I have a fellow weight loss success story on to start really at the humble beginnings, like early in life, because I think that that's really where all of it begins as far as poor eating habits for us. And growing up, man, your menu was much different than it is today, I would imagine. A little bit, uh, a little bit different, if you consider 100% different than uh, <laughs> from what I was eating, definitely. You know, growing up, we were eating standard American diet, for sure. Um, I'd say the only vegetable that we ate was corn. And if you know your fruits and vegetables, you know corn is not a vegetable. It's actually a grain. Not that it's a bad thing. It's a simple starchy staple, and it's a, a healthy food. But, um, but yeah, we were eating, like I say now, we were eating the four dead brown things, pork, fish, chicken, and beef. And uh, we would rotate those four dead brown things with maybe some mashed potatoes and maybe some vegetables uh, on the side. But uh, yeah, standard American diet, um, growing up in, you could say, the standard American home of overweight and family that was uh, dealing with a lot of different health problems, for sure. That sounds eerily similar to my diet growing up at grandma's house, because I know for a fact that the mashed potatoes would have counted as a vegetable, as would the can of baked beans that she would love to serve us uh, from time to time. And from time to time, I mean, almost every single day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, people who hear about what I eat now or who, who have an idea of what I eat now, or they see some recipes or they've read the book and they think, oh, that just, I just couldn't do it. It's like, well, or there's not enough options. Well, to be clear, I used to eat the four dead brown things and a few grains and vegetables where now I eat probably 
hundreds of different uh, foods and, and it's not like I have to, but there's just so many options that it's fun to try all these different fruits, vegetables, whole grains, starches, tubers, uh, the list goes on and on. The, the plant kingdom is uh, almost, uh, you, you can't even figure out what all you can eat. You always know you can identify so easily when somebody knows what they're talking about when they use the word tuber. Like who? Do, like you? You have to be like plant based three hundred one, not one hundred one, three hundred one to drop tuber in there. So I know that I'm dealing with somebody that knows plants right now. I've uh, I'm I'm no stranger to getting my hands dirty, growing a few uh, tubers uh, and uh, different plant foods for sure. Now, talking about getting your hands dirty, what makes your story unique is that you were a big-time Division I college football player. The University of Nebraska, getting your hands dirty as a long snapper. So you were playing football, what, since you can probably remember, right, to reach that level? Yeah, I think I started playing competitive, physical, you know, tackle football in the fourth or fifth grade, so very very early on and then uh, playing all the way up until my college days. And then you see these massive guys on Sundays and Saturdays, you're just watching them and they're enormous 300 and 350 pounds. And what were you thinking about in terms of what it was that you needed to be eating as you were beginning to really start to compete on the gridiron yourself? You know, it, it was, it was just the, the accumulation of different people who thought they were nutrition experts. If you wanted to be a big time college football player, go to the pros. And, uh, and again, it was like the same things we ate growing up were the same things that people were saying, Oh, those have to be healthy. As long as you're not eating too many carbohydrates, you are you're focusing on maximizing your protein intake and eating all the animals that you can stuff in your mouth, you're going to be fine. And, um, you know, I found myself as, uh, as an okay athlete. I, I was, I specialized in a position to where I was, uh, one of the top two, top five uh, players in my position, a five-star athlete, had multiple scholarship offers. And so not that the diet was um, didn't enable me to get there, but it for sure didn't help me. I always say it was like I was able to get to college and play big-time college football in spite of <laughs> the way I was eating, for sure not because of the way I was eating. Let's do a little bit of big guy insight because I remember when I was playing in high school, right? I was a left tackle, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm five, six on a good day. So they just put me in there just to block edge rushers. And yeah. so um, I just remember that that being the first time that I felt like I had an excuse to keep eating just these mass quantities of food. Like I was like, finally. I have a reason to double down on the combo meals at McDonald's. And did you kind of feel the same way? Like this gives me an excuse to just pig out all the time. Yeah. You know, growing, growing up, I was never one of the tallest kids. I was always a stronger kid, but uh, getting to the high from going from middle school to high school, I was actually, I didn't weigh all that much. But in going into my freshman year, you know, the coaches and you know people who were kind of advising me were saying, Hey, we've got to, got to get, got, got to put on weight, got to put on weight, got to, got to, got to be that big 200 plus 220 pounds. Uh, if you want to play, play long snapper at this level, but also I was playing offensive line for my high school team. And so uh, there was a lot of prodding and getting me there. So I actually gained, oh, I, I weighed, I weighed, I probably gained somewhere on, on the uh, order of 50 to 60 pounds going from my eighth grade to freshman year. Um, and that was through just, stuffing my face all the time, taking 
taking these shakes that were these calorie shakes that I, I they were they were called like Russian. I mean, there was like names to them that you you know you would think were from from old this old Soviet Union, and so I was just intaking as many calories as possible. And what it led me to was, of course, gaining weight. It's not a lot of people say, oh, I can't. I, I'm amazed that the, it's not everyone, but there's a good amount of people say, I just can't gain weight. I have problems gaining. Well, brother, sister, <laughs> you're as a, as a not a very big boat that you're in if you're having trouble gaining weight. And so I had gained a lot of weight, um, put it on not in the best fashion, and spent most of my high school time trying to convert the fat into muscle, right? Which we know, you know, it's not like you're just going to convert fat to muscle. You're going to lose the fat maybe and then put on some muscle. But um, I was in that trap. And so I carried, I was around 220 pounds to 230 to 40 pounds. Um, from say my sophomore to to my playing days at Nebraska. Yeah, oh man, I'm like thinking back to trips to GNC and those enormous tubs of weight gainer that you know my teammates would buy. I mean, these things were huge. Could barely sit them on top of the refrigerator. That's how big these tubs were. Just the most calorically dense things in the world. And yet somehow the coaches had us convinced that that was healthy. You know, it was you. You take this and you uh, use creatine, and you're, we're going to get you guys big and strong. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. Like we won one game my entire high school career so. yeah it's, it's it's amazing how you've got coaches and, and those well well-meaning people but you've got coaches and those around you who say oh you gotta you gotta put on the weight you gotta get on the weight and, and 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 there are times where yes if there's the chance like for me you know I was I was at a position where I was setting myself up to get a full ride scholarship to go play college football and so I needed to be at a certain weight I needed a certain body composition and so I had worked hard towards that I worked out quite you know a lot and I thought that I was eating just all the protein I could and thinking that, that was going to be healthy. Um, but, but there is a, it's interesting that we see a lot of, a lot of in, in the, lo, in the lower, like maybe middle school, high school, you get to higher athletics, you've got more nutrition coaches, nutritionists, but in the high school and middle school ages, we see a lot of families. And I get a lot of, a lot of emails and messages. Say, oh, my son wants to do this, but he couldn't do plant-based because do this or that. And, uh, but you got to ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, are you going to, is this going to be a livelihood? Are you going to actually do it? Are you willing to risk long-term health for some sort of short-term gains? And the second is, do you even need to? Could you not just do that eating healthy whole plant foods, maybe some more calorie dense, not ones that you're going to be eating if you're trying to lose weight like I had to do eventually and like many others have done and maintain their weight. Uh, but there are so many different options to do it healthfully, right? We, we just, um, we're, we're all previously, and many of us know, know many who are, still stuck in that paradigm that got to eat that animal protein. We've got to put on weight quick. We've got to do this or that in the athletic field. And, and what it leads to is a lot of fat, slow, sluggish, um, unathletic players out there who might fit the BMI or the, not the BMI, but they may fit the weight and height ratio, but they're sure not athletes running around out there. Let's see fat, sluggish, and slow. Hey, that summed up my high school career. Well done. <laughs> Uh, well, how did your body feel at that young age? I know like being younger, you, you, you just heal quicker and it's easier for you to do things than when you get older eating that diet, obviously. But how was your body being affected by what it was you were eating and, and those big old uh, supplements of Russian product, whatever that was that you were taking? You know, it's, uh, it's not that I felt, I would say that I probably felt bad and I probably didn't feel to my peak you know, performance or peak physical level but I was used to it, right? I had been doing that since 
since going since I've been taking these you know these weight gainers and things. And I really put an emphasis on it going eighth grade to high school. But you know since I was since I was in Pop Warner little 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 league type football, and so I had been been eating this way and feeling this way and had this excess weight. You know my ratio uh, probably stayed similar to my body fat to my height and to maybe my muscle mass. And so I'd been eating this poor diet. I'd been kind of living a similar lifestyle for so long that. By the time you get to high school, you get to college, and you find yourself, you know, kind of overweight, but an athletic build. Um, still, you, you really don't notice how you, how you feel overall. It's kind of like, oh, the aches and pains are normal. Oh, the inflammation's normal. The, 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 you know, the swelling's normal. And when it turns out that it doesn't necessarily have to be, and now that I work with, uh, or, work with or know or can kind of consult or just kind of help out some, some college and professional guys, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that. You know, they cut out some. They cut out the dairy, or they 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 lower their meat intake, or they cut it out completely, and and they say, I've, I've never felt this good. I've never felt like this great of an athlete. How good could I have been in high school and college um, previously if I wasn't eating these high inf- infl- inflammation causing foods and and these foods that were slowing me down? I mean, you know, I talk about it's so funny t- thinking about back in my in the college days at Nebraska, and it's because if you told it's interesting because if you told the people from Nebraska, that we were eating steak before games on Friday night with lobs or with crab, and then we would dip everything in butter. We would have filet mignon. We would have these super fatty, rich foods. Most people, you know, in Nebraska, or we've got the, 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 the corn belt, would say, oh, that's good. That's going to get those guys out there nice and, nice and athletic tomorrow. Um, and then, then we wake up on Saturday before the game, and we have some more sirloin or some flame you know like rich rich foods that we're dipping again into butter or we're you know we're so but again it's so interesting to see that paradigm of the people who would say oh that's great the high quality animal protein that's going to be but what you actually see is players who are bloated slowed down and sluggish by the time they get to the game at 11 a.m or 2 p.m or 6 p.m or on prime time at 8 30 p.m is you see guys that are sluggish that look a whole lot worse than they did in practice. And that's a, a phenomenon. You could, coaches won't tell you that and, and maybe some players. But if, if you ask the coach, coach, why do you have him out there? And they might say, well, he looked a whole lot better in practice two days ago. And you wonder, why do he look so good in practice? Well, it's probably because he wasn't weighed down with eight pounds of butter and six pounds of sirloin. Man, I, I want to talk to you about maybe a, a culture shift that's occurring right now in athletics in terms of diet. But I'm also like, I'm hearing you rattle off those foods. And I'm thinking to a recent episode that I did about blood pressure. And I was telling one of our dietitians about myself being put on high blood pressure medication in high school. Do you remember at all what your levels were? Oh, I, I couldn't. I can't remember, but I can... Uh... I can remember, I just say this, I can remember going into the nutritionist or the uh, nutritionist would do a lot of it, but, you know, going in for body composition tests and scans and things like that. We'd all kind of go back and forth. And, and what you find is that <laughs> there's a lot of guys who get to college who are, are good athletes, but it's, again, in spite of the diet they were eating and in spite of their body composition, you see, I mean, it, it's amazing, but you see guys with 40% body fat, see guys with that, that, that think they've got to carry 295 pounds or they have to carry this or that, which maybe you do need to carry a certain amount of body weight. But if you, if you ask anyone and say, would you rather have the 
sluggish guy out there who's 38% body fat, would you rather have the 275 pounder who's 25% body fat, who can move around and is agile and quick on their feet? I think you'd ask any coach, they'd say yes. But, but it's almost like, uh, again, they're all, all stuck in this. Uh, we've got to have big, you know, big is great, big is fine. But I know a lot of big guys who carry a whole lot of muscle and are agile and fit. Um, and they eat a little bit differently than those guys that are big, non-agile, and definitely not fit. All right, so re- remind me again real quick, how many LBs were you at when you were at Nebraska? I was At my heaviest, I was around – so playing weight, I was around 240, 245. Um, but as, as you know, and, and so our, our audience may not know, I, I, after I had broken my back and had tried many different treatments, I found myself at 260. So I played about 240, 245, and found myself at my heaviest around 260 pounds. All right. On a what? on a 5'11 frame. There it is. I didn't think you were six foot. Uh, yeah, man, I get you. The under six club, man. We rule the world. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, you breaking your back at Nebraska. I mean, that's a transformative day in anybody's life. What do you remember about that particular day? Well, you know, I'll just go back to leading up to it, right? It was um, – this was going into my – sophomore season my freshman season I'd come onto campus I had won the starting position I had played and started in every single game that we were in including games like beating Michigan at home playing many games at home at Nebraska in front of 90,000 fans uh, going to Penn State and beating Penn State snapping for the game-winning field goal in overtime under the lights in the snow uh, and then finalizing our season in the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville Florida beating Georgia uh, and playing in the pouring rain. It was uh, some, some pretty awesome places, some pretty great experiences, um, and found myself going into my sophomore season, returning starter, one year under the belt, letterman, kind of everything's going great, and then going into you know, hopefully what would be my second, third, and fourth season, and then looking at playing at the next level, right? That's the, that's the path, and that was the plan, and things were moving along nicely. Uh, but I found myself, this was um, in July, and going into what was kind of the last week or week and a half of fall camp. And fall camp is this big, big push right before the season. And so this was right before fall camp. And, um, and so we were, we were in the weight room. We were lifting and had really gone heavy previously. I had some, I had some differing opinions to our strength and conditioning staff. And as you can imagine, as the story progresses, I still have different opinion uh, to that certain uh, strength and conditioning staff. Uh, but I uh, got under a squat bar, stepped back. We had gone really heavy the previous week or two. This week, it wasn't actually all that heavy, but I stepped back, and just like that, uh, the lights went out. And was lucky to throw it forward, and uh, it wasn't some crazy thing, but I could feel, started to feel the, uh, you know, just the numbness going down my leg, and then uh, kind of hobbled into training room, and over the course of the next day or two, uh, was was almost incapacitated to where. Uh, I wasn't really able to walk. I, I was having to kind of be be almost carried to uh, remember my uh, my my current my, or my my wife now, who was my fiance at the time, was uh, was was able to. She had to kind of carry me into, and she's not a very she's a very petite petite person, and so she was kind of carrying me into um, the weight the training uh, the training room uh, the following day, and so uh, spent the whole night, you know, just. Uh, in immense pain. And it was, uh, it was an unfortunate situation, but um, then spent the next couple of months trying to figure out anything and everything out that we could, right? Um, 
trying acupuncture, trying physical therapy, trying uh, water therapy, uh, everything, everything that you could imagine. We, we, we were trying because knowing that if I had to have anything serious, it would end my football career. Uh, but then uh, after about a month and a half of really trying what, what I thought was everything, right? It didn't turn out to be everything, but what I thought was everything uh, physically, right? From the medical standpoint, what can, what can the doctor do to me to make, to make the back better? Nothing was working. It was actually getting worse. And so uh, at the ripe old age of 19, I uh, walked into the hospital to have a six and a half hour back surgery to, um, with the hopes that one day I would be able to have a normal, healthy life with, uh, you know, maybe holding and playing with my, my future children or you know, being some sort of act, you know, being able to do some sort of physical activities. Um, those were all unknowns. And so at 19, I went in and, uh, you know, came out and luckily things went as good as can be expected. But uh, yeah, that's where I, <laughs> that's where I found myself uh, after everything was going great. But, uh, you know, life throws us some curveballs for sure. That is a heavy load for a 19 year old to carry, not knowing what the future holds. Nobody knows at 19 sure. what the future holds for them. But then for you to be kind of facing your own mortality in a sense, it's such a young age. I mean, that's quite the wake up call. Yeah, it's, um, you know, not something I wish on anyone, but it also did eventually put me onto a path to where now be able to, uh, to help others improve their health and um, maybe, not, maybe hopefully not have to experience the, the same downfalls with the standard American diet and the way that many of us live our lives or previously lived our lives. And so it did, it was a big turning point in my life, you know, and, and there's something really interesting, Chuck, that I kind of alluded to before was, was as soon as I get out, you know, I'm, and, and I'm having to relearn to walk, I'm having to, you know, spending months of in a walk. I mean, things you would never imagine months, you know, a few months previous playing in front of a hundred thousand people, in the biggest stage in all of college football. And uh, then just a few months later, I'm on a walker wondering if I'm ever going to not have to use a walker, if my back's ever going to feel fine, or if, if I'm ever going to uh, not drag my leg, you know, there's a lot of questions. And so, um, but what I did find was, you know, as I was getting out and kind of looking at the rehabilitation uh, schedule, you know, my, my surgeon and the doctors and the, the staff around me were where finally they offered me a little bit of uh, something that maybe I, I believe that probably should have been asked of me before I went in for a six and a half hour back surgery before, you know, all this happened was, all right, now Gabriel, here it was now Gabriel, if you don't want to have to come back here and have another back surgery soon, and you don't want to put more stress on your back. And if you don't want to have to, uh, you know, if you want this back to ever heal to, to the fullest it can, then you're going to have to lose weight. You're going to have to lose a hundred pounds. You're going to have to get down to a healthy body weight. And of course, they didn't have any solutions. Just telling me to, just telling someone to lose weight is like, uh, I don't know, tell, telling a, a horse to, to drink water. You can lead them to water, but if you don't know what right. you're doing. And so uh, they, they said that, and, and I wish they would have said it previously. I wish they would have said it before having me call under a six and a half hour back surgery. But again, they probably wouldn't have had any solutions. They wouldn't have had any uh, applicable ways for me to have done it. So would it have necessarily worked? I don't know. But they did, uh, they did say, they did make an emphasis, put it, made it a point of emphasis to say, Gabriel, you're going to have to lose weight or else you're going to be back here in a year. You're going to be back here in a couple of years. You're going to have just as much pain. You're going to have just as many back problems uh, as you do previously if you don't get the weight off because that is what is inevitably going to put stress on the back. That's what previously was putting stress on the back. And that's what will in the future put stress on the back if you don't lose that excess weight. 
So they tell you that, but at the top of the show, you mentioned that you put on about 15 pounds or so after the procedure. So what was that just kind of emotional eating or just the fact that you weren't able to really move hardly at all for a time? And so you just started packing on the pounds. So it wasn't, so I actually gained the weight after the back injury Ah. and in between the back injury time, right? So I was burning probably 4,000, 5,000 calories a day at 5.30, 6 a.m., running for an hour, and then we had 2 p.m., lift for an hour and a half, and then we've got, you know, little practice types. So, so I, was, I was in my super active state at 245 pounds, I mean, as active as could be, and then I go to my, you know, break the back, and then you can't move, or, or I'm trying to rehabilitate, and that's when I gained the, you know, 15, 20 pounds uh, in, in between the time of the surgery and, and, and the, the break in the back. Had, before that, had you given any thought to like needing to trim down after your career was over? I know that you were so young, but you know, football players, I just, I remember always being aware of guys like Refrigerator Perry, who ballooned, was big in his playing days, but then just became gigantic afterwards. And then you hearing about studies that show the short average lifespan for football players and was your long-term health ever on your radar before this injury? So here it was. This was the plan that I had that I can almost guarantee probably over half of larger college football players have. And it was this, it was a, I've got to have this way. I got to be this weight for my plane. You know, if I want to play at the high level, I've got to maintain that. But as soon as I'm done playing, all I'm going to do is I can keep eating the same stuff I'm eating. I'm just going to get on the treadmill and run for a few, a few minutes a day, and I'm going to burn the calories off. I'm going to get down to a healthy body weight, and you know, the rest is history. And, and, and that was my plan, and that was, the, that was the idea. And that's the idea that a lot of guys have, but unfortunately we see, and, and you may see, even in, you know, in, in high school, and I know you're familiar with a lot of college guys is, uh, or guys that played uh, high athletics, is to say you have these, these thoughts, but it doesn't always work out that way. There are guys that – end their playing career on their own terms. You know, they're healthy, they're fit. They do start working out. They cut down what they're eating because that is a big part of it. And then they get down to their healthy body weight. But I know nine out of 10 of those guys, the 300-pound offensive linemen, end up a decade after playing in college football are just as big or bigger. Uh, And then, you know, we're talking about 30-year-olds that are now experiencing the type of illnesses and diseases um, and, 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 problems that that weight care carrying that weight for long term has uh, in their 30s where you don't normally wouldn't see that until their 60s and 70s uh, and that's an unfortunate thing to see but yeah the idea that i had was when i'm done it's going to be on it was it was the perfect perfect the exact the perfect plan if everything worked out was i'm gonna end playing on my own terms i'm gonna walk away i'm gonna start working out really hard. I'm going to lose the weight, be trim and do whatever I want. Right. That was, that was the idea. Uh, but then you find yourself waking up after a six and a half hour back surgery at 19, hundred pounds overweight and realizing that you now cannot exercise. And you're not sure if you ever will be able to exercise at the high level that you were previously. And then you think, well, great. Now what am I going to do to lose the weight? Yeah. The best laid plans. Right. And, um, I, geez, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hearing you talk more about the, the players and, and the plan for after they retire, and you say nine out of 10, they don't follow that path, man. And I'm thinking back to, you know, having covered football professionally here in Washington for about eight years. And I'm thinking about one former player in particular played high level college football, then played here in Washington, and then watching him begin to put on weight 
over the last, I'd say five years in particular, and then just being struck literally the second, I haven't really even thought about it until just now, watching his body kind of break down and he's gone from just walking to kind of shuffling through the press box now you know he's his mobility is just really hampered and his waist is is really kind of expanded it's sad to see and then you you do see players on the opposite end of the spectrum like you were talking about that do take ownership of their health and follow that healthier plan and continue to work out heavily um luckily no injuries there but you know they just take care of themselves and i I wish that there was just some simple easy conversation that you can have with guys and just really make it kind of sit in or, or set into their mind and just make it really easy. But it's not, if it's just not that easy because you've been eating the same thing for years and years and years, and you're asking to break the hardest habit of all. And that is food. That's, that's correct. And luckily we are seeing some guys do it. And I think the tide is turning if, 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 if ever slowly, but it is turning and so I do, like I said, I do know quite a few guys that I played with in college and, or I played with uh, at, at the high school level that went on to play at uh, higher levels. And so, uh, and, and those guys are realizing that, and they're kind of seeing me and seeing the transformation that I've made. And, and I'm a drastic example, right? I'm the, I'm the, I hope that doesn't happen to me, but if it could happen to him and he was able to overcome it, then I could for sure do it in, in better <laughs> with, without having to do with all the craziness that happened with, uh, with the health complications. And so I think the tide is turning, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely contrary to well, when you got nine out of 10 people doing it or the, what the standard practice uh, tells these guys to do is just start exercising, maybe stop eating so much and you'll be fine. And what we're seeing is it doesn't work. And uh, it's unfortunate because a lot of these guys are suffering. They're, 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 they're your parents' heroes. They're your heroes growing up. They're these guys that put their life on the line every Saturday or Sunday. And then what happens is they deteriorate at a much quicker level and uh, they go and experience these health complications at a much quicker level and much more, um, dire <laughs> circumstances a lot of times due to where they find themselves after playing days. And so it is unfortunate, but uh, there is easier paths. There is an easy path that they can follow. Uh, if they just look at those whole plant foods, Chuck. If they just looked at those, then, uh, then it does, it does lead, lend itself to, for them to find a way to regaining their health and to actually experiencing a healthy, enjoyable retirement after years and years of just uh, her putting their body on the line for, for the love of the game and for, for the fans who are there uh, wanting, to, wanting to see it happen and play out. So let's talk about when the tide turned for you after the procedure. At what point did it kind of click like, hmm, we really need to make some serious dietary choices. And what's this about a plant-based diet? What? Well, it, uh, it didn't happen necessarily in that order, but it did happen like this. I, coming out of surgery, I realized I had – Growing up, I grew up in a family that was overweight, right? It just most like most standard American families, right? Eating the standard American diet, you're going to have the same weight as the standard American family. You're going to you know, be the same health that standard American families are. So that was that was an abnormal. That was kind of all my friends' parents were overweight. I was overweight. My friends were, you know, it was just that's what it looked like. Um, but but I realized coming out of surgery and sitting down with the doctors and the health staff, saying, "Hey, you got to lose the weight. You got to lose the weight." And I would ask them and say, where should I turn? Where should I look? Well, there's probably some people that know a thing or two about nutrition or diet around you. Uh, and where I was initially led to, and Chuck, we didn't cover this or we didn't mention it, but, but the current, at the current time of my injury at Nebraska, I was actually studying to get my degree in livestock production. 
I have a degree in animal science. And so uh, what I say is I have a four-year degree in breeding, feeding, fattening, slaughtering, slicing, and serving every animal that Old McDonald could ever dream of. Now, that's not, <laughs> something, that's not something I'm proud of, but it is a major part of my past coming from a semi-ag background and looking to stay in agriculture as I was you know, playing college football. And things clearly changed, as you can see, see now. And if people know my, my story or know where I am currently um, in life and doing things, but, uh, but that was where I was at. So I was studying livestock production. I was studying animal, I was studying, you know, all these different things when it comes to, again, those, those things I was, I mentioned. And so I initially turned to my professors who were nutrition professors. These were experts in the field. They could tell you every single, um, mechanism from food going into food going out, every little thing that happens, whether it was an animal, a, a human, a, a bird, a fish, a, a cow, a pig, a chicken, it didn't matter. They could, they could tell you all the different mechanisms. They were superstars in their field. And so I began taking their advice. I began you know, asking them, hey, professor, what should I do? And what I was led to was the animal-based diets, the keto, low-carb, JJ Virgin Skinny Diet, you, you name it. If it, didn't have anim- if it didn't have plants in it and it was based on animals, then I ate it and I tried it. And it wasn't like it was like a passing oh, I'm going to try this for a few days, or I'm going to try this for a few days, or that's not working. It was, I was months, months and months of, I'm really sticking to and giving this diet my best try. I mean, and what I found was that, uh, that I was able to lose a few pounds, but I found myself not feeling great. They were hard to adhere to. They were restrictive. I was hungry all the time. And, and at the end, when I had just maybe lost, you know, towards the end when I had lost maybe a pound or two, if I went off track a little bit, I would gain back six more. So I was, I, I, and this went on and on. And so what I eventually found myself was, Chuck, after months of trying these animal-based diets, I found myself just as fat, sick, and overweight as I was previously. But now I found myself frustrated. I found myself frustrated because I was actually trying now. I wasn't just eating what I had always thought to eat. I was actually putting an emphasis on it. I was studying. I was looking into it but it wasn't producing any of the sorts of results. I wasn't feeling better. I wasn't looking better. And I for sure wasn't losing the weight. And that is when I hit a really pivotal, pivotal, critical point in my life. Uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting down in my nutrition class, like I always did. And a friend who I sat next to in in this class and sat next to her for quite a while in the class. And I, I looked at her and said, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. And she said, what's wrong with that picture, Gabriel? And I said, I've been taking advice from Professor X for months and months, and it's just not been working. She goes, well, well, why is it? Look, I mean, he's the nutrition professor. He should know what he's talking about. And for the first time, Chuck, for the first time, in, you know, I realized that my nutrition professor was actually 300 pounds. <laughs> and, and, and that seems crazy, right? It seems, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's true. I was taking advice from a 300-pound nutrition professor. And that was the first time in my life when I realized Maybe just because this guy has 18 letters after his name and he can tell me all the different mechanisms and he is eating what he's telling me to eat. For the first time, I realized if I don't want to look like that or if I don't want my health to be like that, I'm probably going to have to do something different dietarily than what he's doing, recommending and promoting. Um, And that is what led me on a path that... uh, Hit and was was a roundabout way, but I eventually found doctors like Dr. McDougal, Esselstyn, Barnard. Um, the list goes on and on of these plant-based doctors, and began reading and watching everything that I could. And uh, again, this was all while I was in my livestock nutrition class. And so you can imagine, I'm I'm reading about this, learning about this, reading about Dr. or, or T. Colin Campbell talking about how 
he was promoting a high quality animal pro high quality animal protein uh, back when he was a college student and realizing having this realization that it actually was not good for people's health and that it was causing a lot more problems um, and then I'm reading this and I'm hearing about high quality animal protein from my animal science professors and realizing that um, the, the truth has been there, but unfortunately, the, uh, the lies or the misinformation, whatever you want to call it, is still being promoted um, by these professors, by these universities. And so that really made me, me realize that, you know what, there is another path. Because previously, I thought I had tried everything. And you, I, I know knowing your story, you had felt like you had tried everything. I had tried, felt like I tried everything. I know thousands of people who felt, feel, felt like or feel like they've tried everything. Um, but I hadn't. I hadn't tried cutting out the animal products, cutting out the oil, and just eating whole plant foods and giving that a go. And, um, and it was a good choice. It was definitely a good choice to do it. <laughs> so what was the reaction from your family when you, got, when you told them, like, this is what I'm going to do? And, you know, it was, it, it was like, okay, because, right, I had tried all the other ways of eating. And so they felt like it was just another 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 fad or oh you're gonna try that for another couple months but it's just you're gonna go you're gonna go back to eating the same things we're eating and and just you know going about toe in the company line if you can say it uh but it but it didn't and so i i, I really dove in head first and of course there's a bit of a learning curve uh, but what i found was it was easy it was it was so simple and and I didn't miss those foods that I had cut out. I didn't miss those four dead brown things that I had on my plate every night for dinner previously. Um, and I found it that it was kind of, I was able to really look into different foods and give them all a different try. And so it was, uh, yeah, I definitely got some weird looks telling my friends, telling my family. Uh, but what I, <laughs> what I realized was that I'm probably going to get some weird looks if I'm doing something completely different to what they're doing. Um, but if I don't want to have the same health problems, if I don't want to weigh the same way that they do, if I don't want to have to live the same, uh, same life in and out of hospitals, you know, on every pill potion prescription ever written under the sun, and if I didn't want to have to do that, I am going to have to do something completely different to the way that they were eating, the way that they were living their lives. And how, how long did it take for the uh, weight to really start coming off? Did it come off in chunks at first or was it kind of a slow, gradual thing? You know, it... it I, it was a blessing and a curse, not a curse. It was, it was just a blessing, actually, I would say, that I wasn't able to exercise, right? I wasn't able to be physically active. I wasn't able to be on the treadmill. I wasn't able to be in the gym, you know, pumping iron. I wasn't able to do all those things. What I had to do was realize that if I was going to lose weight, it was going to happen by what I put on my fork three times a day and not what I did at the gym zero times a day because I wasn't able to do any of that. Um, and so that, that, what that basically led to was a gradual healthy, slower type progression in losing the weight. And so over the course of two years, I was able to lose 100 pounds. And so that was on average of about a pound a week for two years, right? 50 times, 50 times two, 200 Good or 100 Good pounds. math. I, 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 but um, my wife's a mathematics professor, so I've got I've to be a little bit good at it. Um, but no, it didn't happen. It wasn't like I lost 50 pounds here and then a few pounds here. It was a pound here, a pound here, a pound here. And I find that to be the case with a lot of folks who – are, are, are not able to be exercising or working out a ton. And if you can exercise, you can work out, it's fine. But you have to realize that you'll never outwork your mouth. And if you understand that, then yes, some exercise is good. But I wasn't able to, and so it really just happened. A little bit here, a little bit here. And basically, it was, I was eating whole plant foods built around the simple starchy staples, foods like rice, beans, potatoes, oats, corn, quinoa, foods that people in populations 
have eaten for thousands of years without being plagued by the chronic diseases um, that are running rampant that, that I'd seen my family deal with, like heart disease, type 2 diabetes. Um, and so if I didn't want to experience those, I realized it was going to happen with the diet. And yeah, so it happened. It happened slowly but surely. But, but what I do find is those who dietarily lose a ton of weight quickly, it's because they're starving themselves a lot of times or they had a dra- you know, dramatic in- difference in what they were eating previously. Uh, and those who do lose their weight a little bit more steadily and slowly uh, are more likely to dietarily more likely to keep it off because what you're doing is you're just changing the way you're eating. You're not starving yourself. You're not cutting 700 calories a day to lose seven pounds in a week, right? You're not doing those things. All you're doing is eating foods that are higher in fiber, so they're going to fill you up, foods that are high in carbohydrates, low in fat, foods that are lower in calorie density than their animal and processed counterparts. And so what you're doing is you're just transforming what you're eating, the foods that you're eating, and so that weight's going to start coming off. And the wonderful thing, I know something that you've experienced, Chuck, is, is the, the best part about losing the weight and the weight loss you know, ability of those foods is um, is even better the fact that you can eat those foods and keep the weight off because they are lower in calories, because they are higher fiber, higher water. You're able to eat, I'm, I'm able to eat those same exact foods that I lo- used to lose 100 pounds over two years. And now I eat the exact same foods, I eat the exact same way now to keep it off and not even have to think about it. So what was happening to your body physically over that span where you were losing that pound a week? I would imagine we hear so much about inflammation and what a role that plays in pain in the body and overall health. You eliminate animal products from your diet, automatically inflammation comes down. Do you feel like that kind of sped up your recovery process? Did you feel better pretty quickly? Oh, I can, I can remember now, you know, people would ask, people who'd know I'd had the back surgery and who'd see me and they say, well, how are you feeling? I say, well, every pound, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> and, and, and what that basically meant was I was at a point where my back was really not good. I mean, even after surgery, I was wondering if it would ever get back to the point where it felt healthy, nor- you know, normal again. Uh, but as I began to lose the weight and as it was coming off, it's like every you know, I say I lost a pound a week, but I began gaining a little bit of better health, a little bit better feeling in my back. So I would lose a little bit of weight feel a little bit better. And so a year in, I was feeling great. I was down 50 pounds, feel, my back was feeling really good, but it still kind of was, was bugging me. I, could still, I still knew that I had, I had broken my back. Uh, but you know, two years into it, 100 pounds down, you're right, the inflammation slowly and gradually started getting better. And at, towards the, you know, at the end of that two years when I, of the, losing the weight, it was really, you didn't, you didn't wake up and re- remember that you had this back problem. I didn't, I didn't have that inflammation, that swelling, those sore joints. The, uh, the big thing that a lot of athletes have, current athletes see, is the recovery time, is the, mm. the, the ability to go work out or the ability to, to, to do strenuous physical activity, but, uh, but not have to spend the next two days trying to recover by eating these low inflammation-causing foods or these healthy whole plant foods. What you find, what, what a lot of these athletes are finding, and something that I found in my recovery is that uh, by eating this way, if I were to, if when I, after I was feeling better, if I were to go you know, try to do some sort of low intensity exercise, I didn't feel horrible after it. I didn't have to spend so many days recovering. I just felt good the next day. I was ready to roll. And, and, uh, and so that, that recovery boost is really a big, uh, a big component in athletes getting into it. But for myself, the weight started coming off. I started to feel a little bit better, a little bit better. And, uh, and that was addicting. <laughs> Right, and it was the previous food that I was eating. The processed, standard American diet junk was addicting because of the salt, oil, sugar, 
the, the highly concentrated queso morphines as Dr. Barnard oh, is, brother, yeah. is famous for talking about uh, in cheese and dairy products. But, but I found that the food wasn't so addicting. So the healthy whole plant foods, it wasn't like I felt like I needed to stuff my face. I was able to eat healthy whole plant foods that tasted amazing, tasted great. Um, but I could eat and kind of push them away when I was full. And then afterwards, what was really addicting was the fact that every week I felt this much better. I was able to walk a little bit more. I was able to bend or, you know, had a little bit more motion and, and didn't have that inflammation. And, and that is something that's really encouraging. I know for a lot of people who, who go into eating this way is once you start feeling this great, yeah, that food may be tempting. Your family member maybe shoved it in your face telling you to try it. Um, but nothing, I forget who says it, but it is so true. Nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. Isn't that the truth, man? And this is, it's been how many years now, your journey since you broke your back to today? I think we're looking at six or seven years now. Man, well, you, you're looking great. You, you're clearly feeling great. And you're now using your own story, this transformation to inspire so many other people. You've even put out a book, right? Yeah, so this past December, uh, we released the Plant-Based Diet for Beginners. Basically, what happened, Chuck, was I had found all these wonderful health benefits of a plant-based diet. I had then began from, you know, posting some different recipes that I enjoyed on my Facebook page, on the Instagram, uh, and then on my website, Plant-Based Gabriel. And so I'd been posting these things, and I, and I had a lot of people asking me, hey, do you have a, can I get this recipe in another form, or can I do this or that? Um, and that really led me to realize that I wanted a handbook. I wanted a simple, easy, easy to read handbook um, that I wish maybe I would have had as I was adopting a plant-based diet or that I could have handed to my parents or my family, my grandparents, my cousins as they were adopting a plant-based diet. Um, and that kind of put us on the journey, put me on the journey to, to writing the plant-based diet for beginners. And, um, and lo and behold, this past December, we, we, we produced it and it came out. And so uh, it became a bestseller and it, it did really great. But, uh, but yeah, so it has 75 easy to prepare, salt, oil, and sugar-free, whole food plant-based recipes. And then what I think is even better, uh, and the recipes are great, don't get me wrong, but the, the best part is at the beginning of the book, you have the what is a plant-based diet and why should you think about adopting a plant-based diet. And then we've got the 75 hows, right? The how do you actually make a plant-based diet uh, easy, enjoyable, and effective, and that is through the recipes. And so we also made sure to keep it price, um, price efficient. So I talk, you know, it's $10. It doesn't really matter if you, if you get the book or you don't, there's a lot of great free recipes out there. There's a lot of great information, but what I did want to have was a, a, an inexpensive handbook that I could take to a family member, a loved one, a friend's house and bring a couple copies to different dinner parties or, you know, get togethers and slide it on someone's coffee table. And maybe before we leave and say, Hey, uh, I, I dropped something off there. I just want you to check it out. Let me know what you think. And, uh, and I know hundreds, if not thousands of people who have already done that with the book, um, with the hope and the goal, and actually the outcome that they were looking for in helping their loved ones, family, and friends adopt a health-promoting plant-based diet to uh, to really turn around their health. Because uh, you never know where what 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 problems are lurking uh, just in the in the shadows from a standard American diet. And so, getting getting our loved ones onto this plant-based diet is is really important. And the quicker we can do it, the quicker we can help those that we care about adopt a plant-based diet. Uh, the longer they're going to be around and the more healthful and the more, more uh, well we're, gonna, we're all going to feel. Uh, and that's really important. 
Well, brother, from one weight loss success to another, man, I am so, so just incredibly proud of you for, you know, turning, uh, you know, a whole bunch of lemons into the best tasting lemonade ever, man. So I think that that is phenomenal. And I would love on some Saturday in the future, you and I get together, turn on some football, enjoy some nice cream and just swap stories and have a grand old time. Hey, it's a date. We'll for sure schedule it. Hopefully, hopefully this fall. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, it, maybe it'll have to be next fall, but uh, we'll definitely get together. Chuck, and I just want to say thank you for all you do on the podcast and, uh, and through your social media channels. You are a huge um, influence to a lot of folks, uh, a good influence uh, to a lot of folks who, uh, who are needing that, that, that light to say, hey, I can do it. And, and you show a lot of people that they can do it. Your interviews are so helpful. And so I just want to say thank you. I know a lot of my audience, a lot of people who, who, who like my page or who they're really, really enjoy your podcast. And so it does mean a lot to be able to come on and share my story on yours. Vice versa, brother, man. I appreciate you having me on as well. And again, man, nothing but the best in the future. Look forward to that nice cream with you. We've included a link to Gabriel's book in the episode notes. I highly recommend you check that out. Such a great story, isn't it? The kind of story that just makes you feel good about yourself and makes you think about all of the obstacles that life can throw at us and how you just have to make a choice in how you deal with them. Do you want to sit there and wallow in your sorrow or do you want to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and make a go at it? In this healthier life. You know, Gabriel could have gone down a dangerous and unhealthy path, a la Refrigerator Perry, like we talked about. But he instead chose to take the healthier road, and now he is changing the lives of so many people, including former players. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. Let's change gears now, and time to open up the doctor's mailbag. And for that, we welcome Dr. Jasmine Sardana back to the exam room. I love these segments so much because I always feel like I learn so much. And I hope that you all do too. Because my philosophy is always that if somebody else is wondering it, there's a good chance that another person is wondering the same thing. So let's all learn together. So many questions are going to be answered in just a minute, like questions from Emily, who wants to know if there are specific foods that people with eczema should be avoiding. And J.A. wrote in wanting to know what was the best salad dressing to use that is low fat and plant based. And D.L. was curious about transitioning off of what we call transition foods like Impossible Burgers to a more healthy plant based diet. What's the best way to do that? Well, Dr. Jazz is here with answers to all of those questions and a lot more as we open up the doctor's mailbag. Let's start with one from Joel, Dr. Jazz. Joel wants to know, are eggs a really healthy or really unhealthy source of protein? So, um... Eggs are a source of protein. Now, where they fit into as far as really healthy or unhealthy um, is really going to depend on a few things. What are your goals for your for your health? If we're having a conversation about you decreasing or mitigating your risks of developing chronic disease, maybe you have a family history of diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, um, and and you really want to 
you know, reduce that risk. I don't believe that eggs need to play a role in that diet um, at all. In fact, I don't think eggs need to be a part of your diet, period. They're full of, yes, there's protein in eggs, but what else is in eggs is cholesterol, right? And there've been, there's been some controversy kind of debating, you know, what, how good or how bad eggs are. And again, I think instead of vilifying one particular food group or item, I think you have to step back and really look at what's your goal for your health. And if your goal for your health is to be the healthiest possible, what that always comes back to if you speak to um, physicians and who've looked at the evidence when it comes to nutrition, uh, we see over and over again that individuals who do not eat meat, eggs, who don't eat meat, who don't incorporate dairy, are the ones that have the most optimal DM, uh, BMI, uh, the most decreased risk for cardiovascular disease. So um, if, those, if that's your goal, I would say leave the eggs. They're, they're a source of protein, but I'm not sure that they're a good fit for an overall healthy diet. All right. We've talked about salty foods. Now let's talk about sweet foods. We've got a question from Joseph on YouTube. What do you think of maple and agave syrup? Is it too close to a refined sugar? Should we be avoiding them? So that's uh, another question I get often also because we hear carbs are bad and the next uh, you know minute we hear fats are bad. Again, it, it all has to do with balance and understanding your goals. For sugars, certainly avoiding sugars that are refined, refined sugars, refined flours that are white and, and overly processed are going to be absolutely beneficial for you. If you need to use sweeteners for your diet, if you're baking something, say you, you do like your coffee sweetened, using things like agave um, uh, or maple syrup as a substitute, I think is a, is, is, is a fine substitute to use. Pay attention to the amount that you're using and pay attention to the frequency with which you're using it. I think the fact that these questions come up is really encouraging for me to hear as a physician and, and, and doctor, because it just shows me that the audience has this heightened sense of awareness and insight into their health. So these questions are awesome. I think they're, they're an, a good source for uh, a good alternative to refined sugars, but be mindful of the frequency and the amount. All right. We've got a question from Dale following up on the sodium thing. My last checkup showed my sodium levels were below normal. Isn't it better to get too much sodium than too little? Um, I wouldn't say it's good to get too much sodium. We know that high sodium levels are linked with, um, you know, the development of hypertension and hypertension has multiple consequences down the line, including, you know, as an independent risk factor for mortality, as well as uh, contributing to the development of cardiovascular disease. So too much sodium is not a good thing. You should stay within that recommended dietary allowance, which is to get less than two grams or 1500 uh, milligrams of sodium. Um, um, and if it said, if your sodium was low, I, again, the other thing I talk to about my patients is that when you get these lab results, is to not hang on one lab result either, right? So our labs are dynamic, our blood pressure is dynamic, things change, they're not static, it's just a snapshot. So if you've had an abnormal lab result, I would say repeat that, talk to your um, physician uh, about that, not to get too hung up on it, and don't shoot for overdoing the sodium because there are consequences. All right, Dr. Jazz, I think you're the perfect person to answer this next question because you are a parent yourself. This one comes to us from KC on YouTube. What are your thoughts about giving transition foods to children? 
Oh, yes. Really good um, point. It depends on your family. So some families, transition foods, um, I think, are helpful. So since we've been talking about mock meats, I think it's helpful in families who are maybe used to eating red meat and and that's part of your diet. And so that kind of palate is part of your uh, family diet. And that might be helpful. I would strongly, as much as able, avoid it in children um, if they're able to as, as infrequently as possible. Just because, again, they're high in fat. They're high in sodium. And we certainly know that the obesity rates in children have skyrocketed. And again, transitioning eventually to a whole food plant-based diet, I think is wonderful or fully. And if you need this for a short period of time to help your family get through it, great. Um, But again, my my advice is not going to change as as much as able, as much as you're able to decrease um, the introduction or having your kids eat these transition foods as much as possible. But if you need it to help you get to that next step, okay but use it sparingly. Um, and there are some families that, you know, if you're, if you, if your family doesn't eat meat to begin with, uh, you may not need these transition foods because what they're really trying to do is mimic the same kind of flavor and texture of meat. And some people don't really want to eat that. Right. And some children maybe have never eaten that way. So it wouldn't really make sense to introduce this taste, um, to them to transition. There are other things they could use, um, but be really mindful and use it very, very sparingly, if at all. Oh, man, our producer, Laura Anderson, is on point today. She just posted a link to uh, your blog with tips and recipes for eating with plant-based kids. That's amazing. Oh, awesome. um, Great. Uh, Dami checking in on YouTube. Greetings from Ireland. Well, hello, Dami in Ireland. Wow, uh, greetings. I've, I recently became vegan and I'm getting frustrated with family members who want to eat meat and are not excited with me about the beautiful food that I'm cooking. Any advice? <laughs> um, so... I think we have to be respectful of each person's personal journey. And Chuck, you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit before too. You got to do you. You have to stay the course. And I know it's hard. I know it can be discouraging when your family members, those who you would expect to show up for you in support of eating this way, um, aren't able to do that. That doesn't mean that they don't love you. It doesn't mean, you know, that you have to get upset about it. Uh, what you have to realize is that you can still do this. You can still eat this way and maybe look for support in other ways. There are Facebook groups, there are um, wonderful Instagram accounts that you can follow. Go to the PCRM website. We have a 21 day kickstart. We do um, help immersions. We're going to be potentially rolling out virtual group classes or nutrition classes. So there's lots of support. Yes, we would love for that to come from our family. But oftentimes, if they're not able to, there are still other places that you can find that support so that you can continue on your journey and stay focused. And hopefully, at some point, by you sticking to your path, you'll eventually be able to inspire your family members. All right. Uh, Another one kind of on that sweet and salty mix that we seem to be stuck on here today. Uh, We've talked about syrups. Let's talk about juices. Vincent on Facebook is orange juice healthy. People are saying it's not healthy because it's concentrated sugar without fiber. That's right. So um, oranges, you can find all kinds of oranges. You can find powdered, you can find frozen, you can find reconstituted from concentrate, fresh, with pulp, extra pulp, no pulp. There's all kinds of varieties of oranges. At the end of the day, orange juice is a really good source of sugar. Um, and if you really want the benefits of orange juice, eat an orange. It's 
Oranges are delicious. And what you're getting that you're not getting from the juice, which you alluded to, Chuck, is the is the fiber. And fiber, we know for so many reasons, um, is so powerful and important for the health and healing of our bodies. So choose oranges. Orange juice, no. All right. Emily on YouTube. Are there foods people with eczema should be avoiding? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, this is something that I need to probably look into further because I don't know all of the data regarding um, specific foods and um, skin conditions, something that's you know exciting and interesting. I will tell you a personal story for myself. I um, had uh, I suffered from atopic uh, dermatitis before I or eczema before I became plant based and I was disfiguring and scarring. It was on my face. And it was just troublesome. It was, you know, I went to the doctor, I had steroids on my face and you shouldn't have steroids on your face for too long because it can have further consequences and thin out your skin. And um, I started eating plant-based. I eventually ran out of that medication and then forgot to get a refill. But before I had a chance to get that refill, I realized, wait a minute, I don't have these patches that used to show up, that used to just kind of overnight come up and get worse and get flaky and dry. Um, so the, for me personally, what I would say is limiting dairy, limiting oil, limiting processed foods, all the things that we talk about as you're moving to a whole food plant-based diet. I'm a personal example of that. Um, and beyond that, I think there's, there's still probably data that's coming out, official data coming out. Um, but try it, you know, what there, there's not going to be too much of a loss there, uh, trying to cut out some of those foods. So try it and see what happens for you. DL on YouTube, man, this is a great question that we haven't really spoken about yet. We talk so much about these transition foods and using them to transition to a plant-based diet, but how do you transition off of transition foods and into a plant-based diet? Exactly. So that's, that's, that's going to look different for every person. Um, you have to, and so this is why it's so important to talk to a lifestyle medicine physician, someone who understands what that even means, uh, why it's so important to talk to a plant-based registered dietitian, because they can speak to your personal journey because Chuck, yours is going to look different from mine. And that's going to look different from our callers and our viewers. So where that trans, where is that transition point going to happen for you? At what point? And after how many weeks will that transition happen? How many weeks will it take for you to transition off of it? That's all really going to depend on you. I would say the sooner the better. If you can, you know, transition in three weeks to a whole food plant based diet, that's wonderful. But what's also important for me is not just to get there, it's to sustain yourself in that space, because that's where the real benefit lies is, is I don't consider this a diet, it's a lifestyle. So to answer that question, when should you transition off of transition foods, the sooner the better, but, but you have to know that when you do transition that, that you have those tools in place, working with a lifestyle medicine physician, working with a registered dietitian, so that you're able to sustain that way of life. All right. Segwin's question on YouTube has the Rolling Stones now playing in my head and loop. Uh, is brown sugar good for you? Um, so brown sugar is white sugar with some molasses added to it. I don't think that there is a health component uh, to brown sugar because it is less processed. Um, you know, some people might think that it's beneficial, but I would say avoid it if you can. Um, as with all sweeteners in general, uh, the less the better. How comes it tastes so good? Uh, <laughs> Philip on YouTube sure, wants to know. 
<laughs> Philip wants to know, is it possible to lower PSA and what plants would help? Yes. Yeah, so Dr. Dean Ornish has done studied this extensively, has studied um, prostate cancer and, and um, the role of a whole food plant-based diet in that. And PSA, when you say that is prostate specific antigen, um, is elevated um, in individuals who could potentially develop prostate cancer and in those who have prostate cancer. So again, there is evidence out there that transitioning to a whole food so consuming legumes, whole grains, uh, wonderful vegetables and fruits and getting lots of hydration and avoiding things like saturated fat that comes from animal products, from cheese and dairy, from will help limit that. So focusing on a whole food plant-based diet, that's what I love about a whole food plant-based diet, Chuck, is that it's not a diabetic diet. It's not a you know, hypertensive diet. It's not a heart, a heart healthy diet. It's all of the above. Um, so eating that way will be helpful for PSA as well. But I would also uh, caution and, and, and tell you to talk to your doctor uh, as well. And Philip, I would encourage you also to go check out the exam room podcast on Apple Podcasts. Go to the episode that we released on May 12th. I interviewed uh, a husband and wife. Uh, who uh, have been traveling the country in this enormous, really vegetable-covered RV. I mean, this thing, they've wrapped it with images of colorful vegetables. It's fantastic, so bright you can see them from space. Uh, but Bruce Milray is the gentleman's name, and he went on a plant-based diet, a whole food plant-based diet, after he was diagnosed with prostate cancer a number of years ago. So on this particular episode, he and his wife, Mindy, share their incredible story. So the name of that episode is One Day to wellness and that came out on may 12th so head over to apple podcast or really wherever podcasts are available and check that episode out i think that you might find some hope and some inspiration and a heck of a lot of information on that as well uh back to the questions now we've got time for a few more this is a great one coming to us from youtube uh ja what can i use for salad dressing that is low fat and vegan um so balsamic vinegar uh, I love making dressings with that um, or using that, just spritzing that on, on um, my vegetables. There are, honestly, if you go to the grocery store, this is a good or, or online, doing some research and just looking to see what's out there because I might be able to suggest something today, but there's probably 10 new products that are coming out. And there are wonderful recipes that you could find online to Make your own dressing. I would say that's probably the best dressing to use is the one that you like the most and the one that you can make. And it's easy enough to use vinegar and to use spices um, and to create a dressing. You could use. So we think of vegetables as things that we roast and we cut up and eat. But you can make a sweet potato dressing. Uh, you can make dressings out of any vegetable, honestly, um, and add that extra layer of fiber and get an extra vegetable in. So look for those recipes that, um, and they're wonderful and you don't have to add any fat to it. So there are sources online that I'm sure that you could find. All right. From Rosanna on YouTube, my six-year-old won't eat beans or many vegetables, but fruit is no problem. Is it okay to allow him to eat a ton of fruit? Yeah. So, um, yeah, t fruit is fine in the whole form because there's fiber, um, and so many other healthy phytochemicals within the fruits, making sure that they get that rainbow of fruits, I think is is important. My son loves oranges. He would eat 10 oranges a day if I let him, <laughs> but I make sure that I'm incorporating all different types of fruits. And as you're doing that, sneak in a vegetable here and there. 
And one trick that I'll tell you as a parent is if a child says no to a vegetable or a fruit or a food in general, um, that doesn't mean no forever. Can, you know, keep introducing it uh, to them. It might take 15, 20 times for your child to, you know, say, oh, wait, yeah, I do like it. Um, but they might. So don't stop. Don't stop introducing or encouraging that. So encourage a rainbow of fruits, but keep keep trying with, with the vegetables and the other foods too. Plenty of opportunities for you to ask a question the next time we open up the mailbag. So keep them coming in. You can send them to us on Twitter and Instagram. Just make sure that you use the hashtag exam room podcast. So the accounts you're going to want to tweet to at Chuck Carroll WLC and at PCRM, or you can hop over to the gram. If you're more of a picture kind of a person at Chuck Carroll WLC and then at physicians committee. So send us your questions and we will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And like I said, plenty of opportunities, not just here on the podcast, but every single day on the exam room live over on Facebook and on YouTube, the doctors are answering your questions. So that's at noon Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Physicians Committee's Facebook and YouTube pages. Dr. Barnard and other experts are always coming on the show to answer your questions. So make sure that you send yours in. Here's a question for you right now. How are you hearing this show? If you're not listening on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, why not head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify or any place that serves up your favorite shows and go ahead and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee and also leave a five-star rating because when you do that, I say this every week, you are truly helping to make the world a healthier place because every new subscription and every five-star rating helps someone who needs this life-saving, life-changing information a little bit more easily. So the higher we climb in the podcast rankings because of those subscriptions and five-star ratings, the easier it becomes for people to find this information. And that is the name of the game. We want to help as many people as possible lead a healthier life. So just by subscribing and leaving that five-star rating, it goes a long way toward helping out the next person in this life. And coming up on the show next week, what an incredible story of Joel and Jill Erickson, a husband and wife who have radically transformed their lives courtesy of plant-based diets. Yeah, that's kind of the theme around here, isn't it? But what makes their story unique is they each overcame their own challenges. Joel's actually survived one of the most severe heart attacks that you possibly can, a widowmaker. And he's going to talk about it. They're going to share their story, this emotional journey that they went on together. And now Jill, she's gone all in with these plant-based diets, all in. And she's using her own story and her background and this inspiration to help the next person out as well. It's all about themes here as we wrap up the show today, isn't it? 
wanting to make the world a healthier place. That's exactly what Joel and Jill are doing. So now Jill is a Food for Life instructor. They're going to share their incredible story of triumph with us next week on the exam room. So stick around and listen for that. Make sure that you subscribe now and then be sure to join us noon Eastern Monday through Friday over on Facebook and YouTube for the exam room live. But for this particular show right now, today, that's all the time that we have. For Gabriel Miller, thank you, my friend. And Dr. Jasmine Sardana, Dr. Jazz. Couldn't have done the show today without you. And everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for joining us. And remember, stay safe and keep it plant-based. <laughs>